Hi, everyone. Radhika Jones here, Editor-in-Chief of Vanity Fair. With award season in full swing, there's no better time to become a Vanity Fair subscriber. Let our editors take you behind the scenes of this year's nominated films, from prestige indies to major blockbusters, plus exclusive coverage of Hollywood's biggest events. Visit VanityFair.com today and save 10% on a yearly subscription for a limited time with promo code OSCARS. That's VanityFair.com, promo code OSCARS, for 10% off a year of insights and access you won't find anywhere else. Subscribe today while this offer lasts through March 31st, 2024. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Are you driving your car or doing laundry right now? Podcasts go best when they're bundled with another activity. Like Progressive home and auto policies, they're best when they're bundled too. Having these two policies together makes insurance easier and could help you save. Customers who save by switching their home and car insurance to Progressive save nearly $800 on average. Quote a home and car bundle today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $793 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2021 and May 2022. Potential savings will vary. Today's episode is brought to you by Empower. It doesn't matter how much money you have, we all have money questions. Empower is here to answer those questions so you don't have to worry. Take control of your financial future with a real-time dashboard and real live conversations to empower what's next. Start today at Empower.com. Hello and welcome to Little Gold Men, the award season podcast from Vanity Fair. It's such an honor to present this next award. And here are the nominees. And the Oscar goes to... And the Oscar goes to... And I can't deny the fact that you like me right now. You like me. I'm the king of the world. There's a mistake. Moonlight, you guys won Best Picture. I'm Katie Rich. I'm here with Joanna Robinson. Hi, Katie. And Richard Lawson. Hello. And it's the week before the Oscars. Uh, By the time you listen to this, they'll be, I mean, they are mere days away as we speak. Uh, They're coming. And I'm excited, even though it's been a weird and seemingly endless process to get here. So we're going to do our predictions. We're going to go through all the categories because if if we don't do it, who will predict all of the sound and technical categories? Um, So we're going to do our predictions for you to mark up your ballot at home as needed. But talk about a few things before then, just things that we are watching and experiencing. And um, Richard, I want to start with you because you saw live theater, which is like the most exotic sentence I can imagine (laughs) saying right now. I did. I managed to get press tickets for a show that just opened in uh, like Union Square in Manhattan uh, called Blindness, which is based on a novel by the Nobel winning author Jose Saramago was turned into a movie by Fernando Morales with uh, Julianne Moore and a couple other people. But this is not live actors. Uh, it's all people sitting in chairs with masks on and headphones on listening to an audio track while some lighting effects happen in the space. Oh, mm. In an outdoor, in like a square that is also owned like a subway station. It's indoors. I mean, it was just like in an old oh, it's bank, indoors. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought we were like in literally the park in Union Square. No, no, no. At the Daryl Roth Theater uh, in Union Square. And it was at it was at the Dunmar Warehouse in London uh, previously, and it's an open ended run. So if anyone listening to this is interested, and will be in New York uh, this spring, 
you can go see it. I would recommend it. It's really, you know, I, you know, I was vaccinated, half vaccinated at that point. Everyone was wearing masks. So I would, you know, wait until that you're, you're vaccinated and then go because it's really, really arresting. And Juliet Stevenson basically reads a truncated portion of the book or start to finish. But, you know, they cut out a lot. But but what the really incredible thing is what they do with the audio. You have these big noise canceling headphones on. A lot of the show is in complete darkness. I mean, they cover the exit signs, so it's like fully blacked. And it really does sound at times like Juliet Stevenson is like whispering over your left shoulder and then she moves to the right side of you and then moves far away to the extent that like I was like, well, surely there's like an usher walking around with like a movable speaker to give that sensation of like proximity and stuff. But then the lights would flash back on and there was no one there. So it's all just in the headphones. So that was really cool to experience and to be in a room with people, albeit distanced and mask wearing, kind of sharing an experience together was great. And then the end of it is hopeful and feels very relevant to our current stage in, you know, the pandemic. And there's a really beautiful bit of very, very lo-fi stage magic at the very end um, that I really appreciated. So, yeah, Blindness at the Daryl Roth, I really enjoyed it again that's all relative to how you feel about safety and all that stuff to my mind, you know, temperature checks, uh, contact tracing information, masks on distanced. It felt very safe and it was well ventilated. It felt so, but yeah, I don't know. It was really cool. And just, but also did the bad work of now making me want to go see a ton more theater, which (laughs) isn't really an option right now. Richard, did you see Simon McBurney's the encounter when it was touring in the U S uh, I did not know. Yeah, it's a really similar sort of like everyone in the audience is wearing headphones soundscape experience. And uh, it was really fascinating. So it was the first time I'd done anything like that. And it's just a really interesting, elevated way of doing storytelling. You know what I mean? He was just on stage with like a simple mic, but the mic effects were just like really wild. So, um, yeah, that's cool. Yeah, it's crazy what they can do with this audio stuff. Yeah. Um and and it's a little frightening. I would tell people like the sensation of sitting in complete darkness, listening to someone, albeit someone is, you know, with such a warm and appealing voice as Juliet Stevenson, like it's still a little bit unnerving. It's supposed to be, but um, yeah. maybe not for the sort of people who are really scared of the dark, which is fine. If you're an adult, I'm still scared of my parents' basement. <laughs> <laughs> the thing you're saying about just like being in a room with people experiencing the same thing, even though you're like, you know, in silence, not really talking to each other. Like, I imagine my first movie going experience is going to feel like that because, you know, movies are relatively safe if you're in a space where people aren't really talking. And again, if you're vaccinated, like the, the calculation is different. And I just I kind of relish the idea of just like entering silently into a room, leaving it silently, but like feeling the energy of people around me like that's such a palpable thing that, um, you can't recreate in any other way. And I had sort of not rolled my eyes, but been like, I don't know how, how special is it really when people were sort of eulogizing that experience all throughout the last year. And then I went and actually had it. And I was like, Oh, right. This is singular. Like there is no yeah. way to recreate this at home at all. But yeah. It was a real Testament to that exact, the exact thing you just described. Yep. Joanna, I want to pivot to the thing that you have going on this week, um, which I think is keeping you very busy because there is this big old massive series on Netflix this week um, that I don't know a thing about other than that it has taken up a lot of your time. So you want to tell me about Shadow and Bone? Uh, sure. I just want to mention um, briefly Netflix is launching sort of a new YA fantasy 
though it's it's less YA than a lot of other YA stuff. Um, but it is a big fantastical world sort of show called Shadow and Bone based on several novels by the author Lee Bardugo. The first book she wrote is called Shadow and Bone, but this incorporates a later, much more popular book that she also wrote. They sort of blended the two together in a way that is absolutely astoundingly magical. There is a little bit of a barrier of entry that I think both Richard and our TV critic Sonia um, Soraya bumped up against, which is like, you have to get over the hump of learning all the rules of this universe, which in the first two episodes can be a little bit overwhelming. But I, my experience is once you clear those, it is a like really, really, really fun show in a fun world. Um, our favorite Ben Barnes is here. Um, playing a character called Bin Bonds. Bin Bonds. Bin Bonds Mm. is here playing a character called the Darkling. Um, And it's just, I don't know. I I think it's a really fun thing to get into it. uh, You know, you might want to hit up your friend who's read the book and that's me. You can hit me up on VF.com and I will, I will explain to you everything that's going on. Um, But yeah, it's, we will have a bunch of content around it. Uh, It's got a bunch of newcomers in it where, who like, if this takes off, which it may or may not. I'm I'm unsure. There's a huge fan base uh, for the books, huge. But um, as we know, with Netflix's like current um, more conservative way in which they treat shows, like I think the book audience alone is not going to be enough to keep this like to get this show a second season. So um, you know, folks folks are going to have to turn in. But there's just like a bunch of like there's Ben Barnes, Ben Bonds, and then a bunch of newish young performers who were all fantastic. And so this could be like a real star making moment for a bunch of uh, new folks. And you can say that you were there when it all started. So yeah, Shadow and Bone, check it out. Drops on Friday, um, season one, I think it's eight episodes and you can go to VF.com for our coverage uh, to help you navigate it. Uh, one last thing to talk about that you'll be able to see on VF.com before we get fully into our Oscar predictions. But pivoting us back to the Oscars. Um, last year, we had an extremely fun episode with our friends Joe Reed and Chris File about uh, looking back at the 2000 Oscar race and the Oscars that aired in 2001. And this week, Richard, you were doing your annual tradition of recapping that Oscar show, um, which is just like one of the most deranged things that we put you through. And I love that you keep doing it every year um, because it is an extremely fun to read. Um so we'll be able to see that, see that on the site. Uh, Joanna and I have not yet gotten to read your wonderful piece. But um, diving back into the 2000 Oscars once again, any any key takeaways yet? Well, I think the biggest thing that kind of grabbed me in an almost sentimental way is that it, there's a nice symmetry with Steven Soderbergh directing or in some capacity, you know, producing this year's ceremony. Yeah. And then 20 years ago at the 2001 ceremony for 2000 movies, he was nominated twice for best director, one for traffic. So that was really like the ascendancy of his career 20 years ago. And now he's kind of returning to that. Well, not the same stage, but the Oscar stage um, to kind of put his director stamp on that, which I think is interesting. So when I say Steven Soderbergh was nominated, uh, and twice and won one. Um, he didn't win for Aaron Brockovich, but Julia Roberts did. And as we talked about with Joe and Chris, uh, you know, a year ago or however long ago it was, that's an all-time great acceptance speech. Uh, yes. Just genuine enthusiasm pouring out of an actor where, you know, a lot of actors kind of pretend to be a little more like, well, I don't know, whatever. Um, I also think that, I don't know if either of you read 
Matt Jacobs did a piece for Vulture, I want to say, w- w- interviewing Marsha Gay Harden oh my God. about I love her that surprise piece. Oscar win. Oh, all-timer. All love that piece. It was a, it's a great interview. Everyone should read it. Matt's great. Um, and she talks about that exact ceremony. And and it's nice because she clearly was very excited, too. She you know said, what a thrill. That was her big line at the top of her speech. So it, it feels like a kind of a nice ceremony to look at in its, you know, discrete context of that year, but also what happened in the 20 years since, you know, it was also a year when Hollywood was really celebrating itself with Gladiator um, after a few years of like a lot of indie stuff winning. I mean, Titanic notwithstanding, you know, so it, it, it has a kind of big sense of occasion to it. Uh, Steve Martin hosted for the first time, bringing a, you know, slight breath of fresh air to the proceedings. So yeah, it should be fun. The posts will be up by the time this episode drops, if not several hours later. It's due on Thursday, so it will, <laughs> it will happen. I the just have writing to make a, process as it happens. Yeah. <laughs> I just have now. to make about 120 more gifts, and then I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> when I say this is a deranged thing that we make you do, that is honestly what I mean. It's like uh, like old school blogging um, that we're making you bring to VanityFair.com in the year 2021. I'm proud of it. Yeah, if we can't have Michelle Collins doing her epic Olympics posts, uh, oh this at least will do, I guess. The Olympics are back this summer, so never, never say never. Michelle True. might be too busy for it, but I, I dare to dream. Okay, let's do our Oscar predictions. Um, I'm just going to work my way up on our post of the of the nominations on VF.com. And it starts with the shorts, which we talked about last week. So maybe we can um, knock those out relatively quickly because I think we made some kind of bold predictions about what we thought we were going to win. In the live action category, I think a lot of us landed on Two Distant Strangers, even though it was one we were all pretty skeptical about. Uh, that's the one that's, you know, Groundhog Day about police violence. Uh, have you guys changed your mind on that at all? So I wrote up our predictions for our uh, post that will be going up for the shorts. I fell on the short sword and wrote those up last night. <laughs> and uh, I did. I still landed on that. Like my cynicism uh, shone through. I still really would love to see the present win. But yeah, I do think it's going to be Two Distant Strangers. Yeah, I would I'm say the only potential spoiler is the letter room because there are famous. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It's either it, it's usually either like anyway, I was just looking at the uh, previous winners and I remembered skin and I was like, oh, yeah, no, I think two distant strangers <gasps> oh, is going to win. Yeah. 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 Oh, my God. I forgot about that. Yeah. One. Yeah. All right. Well, Joanna, having fallen on the um, the short sword, how about animated? All right. So for animated short, um, I think if. Pixar often dominates in this category and we've talked about Burrow and what like a light, fun little, you know, animal building its own little home romp that was. But I really think if anything happens, I love you from Netflix about, you know, the the emotional devastation of school shooting, uh, which has a lot of star power, including Laura Dern behind it. I think that's the one that's likely to emerge out of animated. Yeah. Well, and Two Destined Strangers and, and If Anything Happens, I Love You are both on Netflix, yep. um, which really, I think, counts for its visibility. Yes. Uh, given that it's hard to hunt down a lot of these. All right. And then finally, documentary short subject, which deeply depressing, devastating one are you going to go for, go with? Um, I would say a love song for Latasha, I think. Uh, also on Netflix. Yeah. Um, you know, not to give them the hat trick or whatever, but um, all of them are devastating that one is the most sort of inventive and interesting and urgent of of the five, I think. So I really loved that film and I would be really happy if it won. Do you guys have any other uh, ideas in that category? I, I think you're right, Joanna, that does. It feels more cinematic, you know, yeah. it feels like a kind of standalone piece of art. Whereas like I think a strong contender might be Colette. 
you know, that's produced by The Guardian. It's a very newsy, straightforward. There's not a lot of filmmaking technique other than this access to this fascinating woman. But I think there is an emotional punch there. Uh, it is about World War II, which is a particular favorite of some Academy voters. But yeah, I, th- I think Love Song for Latasha has the pertinent political component and the artful direction and composition that um, will put it above the rest. I'm going to go wild and rogue uh, also because I don't have to put it down on paper and say a concerto is a conversation because an Oscar, yeah. someone who is on the Oscar stage as, as the composer of Green Book. And it's good. It's a, you know, it's maybe the lightest of the five, um, even though it you know involves like Jim Crow South and like redlining. Um, so I don't know. I'm, I'm really pleased when you guys say all these things because they're literally what I put in my write-up. I'm like, well, <laughs> there's Oscar footage and a concerto as a conversation. Uh, yeah, so um, yeah, we'll see. But that, that would be my guess. I, I would say a love song for... What I picked was a love song for Latasha, If Anything Happens, I Love You, and Two Distant Strangers. So I think that's a solid pick. Uh, and as I said, when you picked those, Joanna, is that watching the shorts has never helped me predict them well. So I hope that it serves you better than me. I really try to weaponize my most cynical brain when I when I pick those winners because I I'm not confident that voters watch all the shorts. I'm just not, you know. So I don't know. Yeah. Um, okay, let's move our way into some of the technical categories. Um, first up is sound, which is uh, this year no longer sound mixing and sound editing. It is just sound. Um, I think we've been saying for a while that this feels like where Sound of Metal is going to win an Oscar, and I'm happy to see that most of Gold Derby agrees with us. Um, you know, partly helped by the fact that, you know, I guess Greyhound is the most traditional blockbuster in the group, and blockbusters often do well in this category. Um, but yeah, I feel uh, like Sound of Metal is going to be a very deserving winner here. I also wrote this one up for VFW. Wow, Joanna. <laughs> and um, I, I was sort of looking into the guild winners. Um, you know, there's still two separate guilds uh, for this category. And um, what's interesting is that the only uh, commonality between the two of them is Soul, which is nominated in this category. And Pixar has won this category with The Incredibles. But that's mostly, I think, because those guild awards have an animated category. So Soul won in both of those uh, guilds. But um, what's interesting is... In one of the Guild Awards, they awarded Tenant and Trial of Chicago 7, neither of which are nominated in this category. Hmm. Um, and the other Guild awarded Sound of Metal. So I, I still, despite all that data, <laughs> I just wanted to like brag that I know all of this. Uh, but despite oh, yeah. all that data, uh, I, I agree, Sound of Metal. I wish there was some rubric that we could say, like, if the title of the movie has the <laughs> name of the category, right. it'll win. But the last picture show did not win Best Picture. Oh. It lost to the French Connection. So I think that my theory is, is is shot. But yes, I agree with you both that Sound of Metal will likely and deservedly win here. If not, maybe they'll go for like boat sounds and give it to Greyhound or something. Mm. Get, get Tom Hanks that Oscar somehow. Hey, everybody. I'm entertainment journalist Drew Taylor. And I'm filmmaker Charles Hood. And we host Light the Fuse, the official Mission Impossible podcast. But right now we're about to launch our first ever universe-expanding miniseries. That's right. Get ready for Light the Fuse presents The Directors. We'll speak to filmmakers who have made iconic Paramount movies and get them to open up in a way that only we can. That's right. Listen to Light the Fuse presents The Directors wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Empower. Can you retire early? Will there be enough money to leave an inheritance? Do you have savings for life's important milestones? If you have money questions, Empower has answers so you don't have to worry. With a real-time dashboard and real live conversations, you can get clarity on your real-life financial goals. 
Join 18 million Americans and take control of your financial future to empower what's next. Start today at Empower.com. The questions around retirement have gotten tiring. Instead of, have you saved up enough? Shouldn't they be asking, what is it that you love to do? And how can we help you keep doing it? The truth is, you're not slowing down. So your retirement plan should be more of an action plan, a hiking plan, a music plan, a sailing plan. The point is, whatever you're passionate about, we can help make sure you never stop. At Lincoln Financial, we have the products to help protect and grow your financial future so you can keep doing more of what you love. Make your pastimes last a lifetime at lincolnfinancial.com slash action plan. Lincoln Financial Group, marketing name for Lincoln National Corporation and its insurance companies and broker slash dealer affiliate Lincoln Financial Distributors, Inc. Copyright 2024, Lincoln National Corporation. All right, best visual effects. Uh, this is another category that is often dominated by blockbusters. There is one in here, which is Tenet, um, which I think has uh, has its fair share of predictions on Gold Derby. I think that I would go with Tenet just in terms of, like, you know, name recognition. There's some element of prestige to it. I don't know. What do you guys think? Yeah, there's nothing else in this category that, you know, really blows my hair back uh, in that way. So I would say Tenet, and I think as we discussed last week, the nomination process for Tenet was a little, like, fraught this year, but they definitely sort of landed their visual effects campaign. So um, there you go. Although I had heard that the one and only Ivan, they sent gorillas to each Academy member's house. So to like do chores and stuff. So like, I, I wonder, you, no, not at all. <laughs> definitely no, not legal. Yeah. Okay. yeah, yeah. Um, no, I think, I think Tenet, yeah, definitely feels like the front runner there. And uh, on every little predicting site and whatever that I've looked at, that has been the top choice. Great. Um, well, then we can go straight to production design, which I think is a really fascinating set of nominees. It's The Father, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, Mank, News of the World, and Tenet. So that is, um, I guess it's two Best Picture nominees in The Father and Mank. And then um, a really nice variety of films. Like News of the World is a lot of exteriors, but obviously a lot of period locations. Mank is this kind of incredible effort to recreate 30s Hollywood. Tenet is all of these you know, locations around the world. Um, and we've talked a lot about the, the production design in The Father and how integral it is to the storytelling. Yeah. I would love to see it win. I worry that it's too small because, um, you know, it's really just this one apartment rearranged brilliantly. Um, but I don't know. It's not like there's some like, you know, like Black Panther won here in 2018. There's not like a movie of that scale here. So uh, maybe it can happen. What is Gold Derby saying on this front? Let's see. Because I had been hearing you... I had been hearing a lot of support from Ma Rainey um, mm-hmm. in this in this regard. But I I do think that like, you know, Mank is not a film that I really enjoyed. But if I were to give it something, I might want to give it uh, production design. So Old Derby always, I think, universally for Mank. <laughs> so maybe right. we're Mank sweating over this more than we should. <laughs> I, I, that makes sense for Mank, doesn't it? Like, you know. But also I think Ma Rainey is more liked than Mank, you know? It is. So if, it if is. you wanted to kind of show your support for it somewhere, that could be a place to do it. I think Ma Rainey costume, right? Yeah, is I was that... going to say, I think that well, yeah, Ma Rainey yeah. has more of a chance in another category. And some acting categories, maybe. So are you guys going to go with Mank? Mank. Yeah, I would say Mank. I mean, I think I agree with you, Katie, that like the subtlety of it's integral to the story, the way that it's integral to the story of, of the father, like really would be uh, something that would be you know, a great win, but um, I, I think it might not pop in the same way that obviously Mank with all of its, you know, grand Hollywood 
golden era stuff. That That's kind of unbeatable. Maybe look at the fact that Parasite was nominated in production design, but lost to Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Like another go. movie yeah. where production design is integral, but, um, you know, it went elsewhere. I kind of feel like historical productions tend to do well in production design, right? Yes, for yeah. sure. Yeah. Um, okay, well, let's uh, move on to hair and makeup. As mentioned, um, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, I think, has kind of emerged as a major favorite here. Um, you know, it helps that, you know, Mank is in there as well, and there's some um, really excellent hair and makeup work in that. And then the other nominees are a little bit lower profile, Emma, Hillbilly Elegy, and Pinocchio. And, you know, I think if you think of one image from Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, like maybe Chadwick Boseman, but the next is Viola Davis with that incredibly dramatic, historically accurate um, makeup as Ma Rainey. So that feels like a, um, a slam dunk to me. Well, the interesting thing about this category this year is that, you know, kind of like the sound categories combined, is that Hillbilly Elegy definitely would have won <laughs> when they used to have best hair and makeup from Glenn Close's costume trunk. But, <laughs> but they got they obviously combined that category with the regular hair yeah, and makeup. Yeah. So it just feels like kind of a vestigial nomination from an old category. I know yeah. I say this sometimes, but like, you do just sit there and like, you know, Richard's going to make a Hillbilly Elegy joke and you don't know what <laughs> flavor it's going to be, but you're excited for it. Uh, love you, Richard. Yeah. I think Ma Rainey probably will win because... Yeah. The work there is so focused on one character who is often showed in close up and it's a glamorous, beautiful movie star made to look. I mean, you know, Ma fabulous, but like, you know, she's a little bit older and sort of wheezier and, a little, you know, kind of like addled, let's say. And those teeth and everything like that. I think it's such a specific piece of work that is so prominently featured in the film that it will stand out. Yeah. And also think about, you know, the entire vibe of that movie where everyone's kind of like sweaty and confined. And that's part of the makeup, too, you know, of like having their faces like reflect these this hot, hot house circumstances that they're in. Um, yeah. Kind of more subtle, but uh, equally as important. Uh, and then back to Ma Rainey for costume design, I think. Um, I think we have talked about Anne Roth recently, right? Weren't we having that conversation yeah. where she's she's nominated for Ma Rainey. She won previously for The English Patient. She's kind of a, a, a veteran of the highest order um, and could and should probably win again for this. Let's do it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that, that seems likely. I mean, I think that like, you know, Emma has, yeah, it's sort of nice. What is that? Regency era costumes, yes. but mm-hmm. like maybe with a little modernist tweak, I don't know. Um, Mank is a lot of suits and stuff. It, you know, it, it's, it's probably authentic to the era, but not, not as flashy. And then Mulan and Pinocchio, I don't know if those movies have much traction to win anything. So, yeah, I think yeah. from those eliminations, I think Ma Rainey, and it's also deserving, and Anne Roth is a legend and doing, the, you know, great work at in her late 80s. Um, I will say that uh, Amanda Seyfried's um, costumes and makeup are tremendous. And oh, th- that's I, true. There are Those are the flashy bits. Yeah, that's true. Um, but, you know, like uh, often, you know, when, when you have a giant, um, a giant film and kind of like a couple of standout looks, that's not enough to get you there. All right, now we're into film editing, which I'm sure we've talked about plenty of times. It's a category that often tracks alongside Best Picture winners. And in fact, all five of the nominees in film editing are Best Picture nominees, including Nomadland, which we'll talk about, weirdly haven't talked about yet, but we'll talk about more later. Um, The Gold Derby friends are pretty evenly split between Sound of Metal and Trial of the Chicago 7 here, which I think is interesting because Sound of Metal, I think, is a really powerful movie. And we talked about it in sound. It's less of an obvious editing winner to me and maybe you guys have more insight on why that feels right 
think there's like a lot of cutting. I mean, I don't know anything about editing. I'm so sorry to tell you all, but like, so then I think of it as like, probably tend to think of it as like most editing the way that like, you know, mm-hmm. other people think about, um, VFX or whatever. Um, and I think, isn't there just like a lot of like cutting between the trial itself and the, and the like protest and what happened and like trying to keep all of that together coherently, I would say maybe, but once again, this is not a craft I know a lot about. Well, I think also, you know, with Chicago 7, granted, there are all these torrents of Sorkin-y speech, but it's a lot of scenes in a courtroom. And I think to kind of give that a sort of physical feeling of momentum through editing and various other things like that, that is an achievement. I think also in the case for the trial of Chicago 7 is that, and we'll get to it later, I I feel like that is probably in second position for best picture. Mm -hmm. And this could be like a biggish win for that movie, a way of recognizing it in a way that like in the older days of like, well, if it wins best editing, it wins best picture, like kind of splitting that vote, but sort of saying like, this would have been our other choice for yeah. best picture. Well, in the editing category is often where you kind of like start watching a trend happen in the night. Like I'm mostly thinking of when Bohemian Rhapsody won for best editing. And it, w- it was just kind of like a, hey, hang on, what's going on? Like that was such a weird win. Um, but, you know, the, the viral video kind of digging into it. Hexar Ridge has won here. There are some strange winners in editing over the years, like which makes me wonder, like, are we sleeping on Promising Young Woman as something that people really feel strongly about and like has a lot of energy behind it? And editing is kind of key to keeping the the tone of that movie afloat. Um, I think I would probably lean toward Trial of Chicago 7 for all the reasons that you guys are saying, but it does feel like something unexpected could happen here. I mean, I will be on the edge of my seat for the editing category because I feel like I know that, okay, like I know we're working our way and we'll, and we'll get into this more as we get to like the, the end of the night categories, but there's this narrative of like this being a, an, a tremendously unpredictable Oscars. I think Richard has a great piece up about that, um, VF.com. I don't feel that way. And maybe I'm just setting myself up to be surprised. But um, if if film editing is where I feel a lot of tension, that'll be interesting. I don't know. I just don't feel, I feel like we know what's going to win. Do you guys, do you guys know what I mean? We think we do, but like it it kind of feels like it's happening in a black box, right? Like we we keep saying like no one's been in a theater to see anything. Like the, the power of groupthink is so much less potent this year. This is the mind trip we plan ourselves every year I feel every like every <laughs> year yeah and as we get into some of these bigger categories I think we'll talk more about the like mind games that people have been playing in recent weeks to be like wait but but this could happen <laughs> um which certainly we are not immune to but let's go to international future which I think is a place where people have been pretty chill and just think that another round is going to win uh n- in no small part because Thomas Vinterberg is nominated for best director clearly um this movie has a lot of fans uh Mads Mikkelsen had a big feature in Vulture today so for however that helps their campaign. Um, and it's a great movie that we love. Yeah, and it's it's been more widely available for a while. I know that people get screeners, so it should, doesn't really matter, but it, it, it just feels like Another Round has saturated a bit more than some of these other films. Um, yeah. Which, which can, you know, does even though if we're all watching in, in a, you know, our little atomized pods or whatever, like, that, that can make a difference. I also think that Another Round is, I don't mean this crassly but it's a little more accessible it's kind of commercial sort of splashier and more you know it just you know like some of these other films are about really like grim things or just feel a bit more i don't know alienating in some way so i don't know i think that for the entertainment factor another round and this like great star performance uh and with punctuated 
with a dance. I, I don't know. I, that does definitely feel like the front runner. But you're right, Katie. The best metric is that Vinterberg is nominated for best director. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and that it has a star to hang your attention yes. on in Mads. Yeah. I loved another round. I would be very happy for it to win. It's, it's a good it's a good, strong category all around. But um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, a shout out to my beloved collective, um, which is also a nominated documentary, which we'll get to in a second, which is really wonderful, but, uh, you know, bracing and sad. And yeah. I understand why it uh, might have less automatic appeal than another round. I was going to say that, like, another round winning here, unfortunately, I don't think means that collective will pick up its other trophy. You know, um, I think collective might get shut out in both categories. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, let's talk about documentary feature, which I do. Joanne, I'm curious if your confidence about the uh, predictability of the race expands the documentary, because I feel very uncertain about how this is going to go. You know, you've got Collective, which we talked about, which is really great, and maybe less, lower profile. Crip Camp, which is the Netflix film with the Obamas behind it. Uh, My Octopus Teacher, which is a Netflix film that I got a like giant poster for in the mail last week. So there's a campaign still going strong for that. Um, and then Time, which I think is probably the odds on critical favorite. Um, and I just, I just don't feel like I... And then The Mole Agent, which I didn't mention because I know less about. Um, I just don't have a strong sense of what the frontrunner is here. I don't know why. <laughs> uh, maybe because it won the BAFTA, but I'm putting my my chips on my octopus teacher. So there you go. A lot of people on Gold Derby agree with you. It won the Ace Award, too, for some reason. So there you go. I don't know what in the editing caught their fancy. But yeah, my octopus teacher. This sounds really like I'm underestimating the... Uh wherewithal of the academy but like it also has a, just a mem- very memorable title <laughs> you know and like it, it stands out you're like what's that about and you watch it and it's like oh it's a nice nature documentary with an emotional component like it again with the kind of a thing with another round like it's i mean i think crip camp also has that it's like very engaging and yeah. mm-hmm. you know and commercial feeling but yeah i don't know something about the octopus just seems to be gripping people um <laughs> more than the others <laughs> Here's um, <laughs> here's my case. A nature documentary has not won since like The Cove, which is kind of only sort of a nature documentary. This one about like the people killing dolphins in Japan. Oh, I know. Fisher, Oscar winner Fisher Stevens. Oscar winner Fisher you don't have Stevens. To tell me. Um, and you mean of the Penguins being like a big example there. Um, so I like human stories tend to have been winning here in recent years. I think I'm going to go with time. I think that might be just like a my heart over my head thing. But uh, that movie is so powerful. It's such a miracle that it exists. It is really timely in the way that it's talking about incarceration in a way that like so rarely happens. Um, yeah, I think it's great. And I, I think it's going to win. There's a lot of passion behind time. I, I can really see that winning. But if if my octopus teacher wins, Katie, will you tweet out? There's just something about that octopus. <laughs> <on Oscar> night. <laughs> I must. This is when I admit defeat. The octopus has bested me. <laughs> okay, on to animated feature, which um, is going to be Soul. It's a Pixar movie and a really great one. Um, and Joanna, I know you love Wolf Walkers, and I do no, think I mean, if there's I... going. Well, I was going to say, I think if there's going to be an upset, it would be Wolf Walkers, right? Yeah, that's been like, uh, you know, I, I've been on the animation beat for VFO uh, again. And yeah, that's that's the thing. Soul will win. Absolutely. Positively. Absolutely. But if anything happens, it's Wolf Walkers. Though, <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, we talk about celebrity a lot. And I wonder if some voters might think that Sean the Sheep movie Farmageddon is about Vera Farmiga. Because like Farmageddon, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> That's and what she Sean, calls her upstate Sean New York Colvin. house, right? Yeah. Sean Colvin yeah. and Vera Farmiga. Yeah, I love that. There um, was pushback against Soul. You know, there was a really interesting piece, I think, in The New Yorker kind of about its 
depiction of race and the sort of the metatextual context that like, you know, I, that there was some yeah. critique of that movie that I thought was pretty robust, but I just actually did write something about how a lot of these online conversations about movies don't seem to, you know, get to the Academy right. at all. Right. Um, and so I, I kind of think that the very interesting and fully justified critiques of, of soul, like just might not be, really much of a factor in this it is otherwise a you know one of another pixar movie with that nice bittersweet tone with good voice performances beautiful animation it just yeah it 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 feels a little bit impervious to uh a kind of more negatively i guess academic read of the, of the film this i mean yeah. I, I will give you my well i won't give you the full read but like soul was not my favorite pixar or animated film this year i didn't like love 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 it but it's it's winning streak has been pretty um you know unassailable so from from like guilds and everything else yeah yeah yeah, yeah. I, I will say i i watched onward because i i was uh, i did a friend's podcast that kind of talks about like fathers and 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 so there were a lot of fatherish movies this year so we talked about the oscar stuff and so i watched onward for that and like it, i i don't think it'll win and it, it it's it's a nice movie that kind of got lost in the covid shuffle last year but the emotional button of that movie is like I like burst into tears. Like it's really mm. effective. So if people are being completist about the nominated movies, I, I would recommend watching onward if only for that, like five minute stretch where the kind of theme of it really is, is driven home. Uh, I kind of figure I will watch onward someday when it like comes up in the Disney plus roulette wheel for my children. So I'll, I'll report back. Katie, it's about brothers appreciating each other. It's, <laughs> I think you're uh, really going to get a lot. Of yeah. It's it. just going to make me cry. Yeah. <laughs> Um, all right, now we're starting to get into some of the bigger categories. Actually, no, let's. I'm going off of the order on our list, but let's do cinematography first before we get into um, the screenplays. Mank won the uh, American Society of Cinematographers Award, which I think was a surprise for a lot of people. Um, I am guessing, without pulling up Gold Derby just yet, that Nomadland has been a um, a strong favorite mm -hmm. here. Uh, mm -hmm. What do you guys think? Yeah, yeah. I, I would say Nomadland or Mank, but I would more readily say Nomadland here yeah i mean i as, as we'll talk about later i'm still pretty strongly on the nomadland favorite bandwagon that you know yeah. i think it is just a, a strong contender the way that we've been saying it is all along um and it is so beautiful <laughs> but i don't know i mean david fincher movies like the cinematography is such a key component of them and people who make these things like really embrace that but everyone is voting on this as opposed to you know the, the cinematographer guild so, you know, if you're going for a broader audience, that's where Nomadland could edge out, I guess. And I think something interesting about the Nomadland thing is that, like, even detractors of the film, they actually kind of use its beautiful images as a kind of point of critique. <laughs> so, like, even the people who don't like the movie recognize what it's doing in terms of its you know visual aesthetics. So, I don't know. Yeah, I, I feel like that's definitely the one to be. I think interesting also, like, it's not like um, Eric Messerschmidt who did... Mank, it's like he's not a huge name. It's not like it's like someone versus Deacons or whatever, you know. Yeah. Um, I don't think there's not a lot, like not as much name recognition involved here. So I think probably No Man Land because it has a better chance of winning bigger awards. We'll take it here. And we've got finally in our crafts original score and original song. Uh, we'll do score first. Um, I adore the score for Soul. I guess I'm the like the Soul 
drunk, drunk, drunk this whole Kool Aid, but uh, you know Atticus Ross and Trent Reznor and yeah. John Matisse, um, the three of them, they had to get you know special approval for all three of them. I mean, you know, I don't think you could do it otherwise because both their music is so distinct and such a key part of the movie. Um, I'll be happy to see it win, which is what everyone seems to think will happen. <laughs> Trent and Atticus double nominated this year. Um, yeah, a year right, you know, fairly fresh off of their. Emmy win for Watchmen. It's just, yeah. how can you beat these guys, you know? Yeah, Trent Reznor becoming, like, this powerhouse movie composer. It's like, I don't think anyone saw it coming in the late <laughs> 90s. But uh, it's been, I mean, the work he does is really exciting. Oh, and, good. Yeah, a, a well-deserved winner. We need to get other 90s people to, like, we need Shirley Manson <laughs> to, like, write a film score, you know? <laughs> I mean, Fiona Apple, like, could. Like, I can see someone asking Fiona Apple to do it tomorrow. And I would love to hear old, what that sounds like. Maybe her old flame. PTA. Oh my God! Whoa, I would flip out if that. Although happened. we'd have All to right. abandon Johnny Greenwood of Radiohead, um, who was his go-to. <laughs> that's guy. true. Well, that's yeah, you know, that's where the '90s trend. I can't, I can't remember who got to the movies first, Johnny Greenwood or, or Trent Reznor. I think it might have been Johnny Greenwood. I think Johnny. Yeah. 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 Um, okay. So original song. That's one I had to predict um, in our predictions and. I really, um, you know, trapped between, well, on some level, like, I have no idea what's going to happen because it's such a weird list of songs. And one of them, which is the Husafix song, is uh, central to the movie it's in. And the other ones are all, like, credit songs that are kind of just are there. Um, in my predictions, I went with Leslie Adam Jr.'s song, Speak Now, from One Night in Miami, just on the logic that he is nominated as an actor, uh, is a Tony winner, is kind of well-liked, um, and that's a way to reward a movie that I don't think is going to win elsewhere. Um, the other strong argument would be for Husevic for being a legitimately great song, and then also I think um, Diane Warren's song, From the Life Ahead, because she is the 12-time nominated, never won Diane Warren. Um, I don't know. I don't think this is going to be hers. I think if she's lost, lost like five years in a row this is not gonna be the one that breaks it i i have been uh, on that same leslie odom, odom jr sort of bandwagon and like um uh, i think what i've said in the past is like i think there might just be a, a blurring of memory in terms of like the great sam cook songs he sings in the film and this like slightly subpar song he sings over the credits and yeah. uh and you know they'll sort of give the award for the the subpar song thinking of those more powerful songs and also, like the life ahead, the the Diane Warren, the movie that she wrote the song for, like there were there were rumblings a few months ago that like Sophia Loren might get a Best Actress nomination, kind of a career capping kind of thing. That didn't happen, so I feel like that movie doesn't have the maybe the recognition that Warren would need for to win in this category. Um, and yeah, I think the thing about Leslie Odom Jr. being nominated that kind of clinches it. Um, we should add while we're talking about song that um, the songs will all be performed this year, but during the Oscars pre-show, yeah. which I, I guess is like our modern version of the Barbara Walters uh, Oscars interviews, which we all grew up loving. Um, so uh, Molly Sandon, who's the perform, she is the voice of uh, Rachel McAdams, Rachel McAdams singing voice in the film. She'll be performing it from Husavik, the real Iceland town that has really gone all in on the Oscars. Um, and Netflix has been promoting Husavik's excitement for the Oscars to a degree that like makes me wonder like how much they're helping. Um, but that's fine. Good for the people of Iceland. It looks like a beautiful town. I'm excited for them. Um, and so she'll be performing um, Diane Warren and her and Leslie Adam Jr. And then um, Celeste along with Daniel Pemberton. So um, I'm excited. I love, obviously, when the songs get their due, uh, even if it's before the Oscars. Did I read that some of them are being performed on like the roof? 
of yes. The, Let's the see. Train station. Yeah, the other four are all performing from the roof of the uh, Oscar Mu- or the Academy Museum. Oh, the Academy Museum. Okay. Yeah. Be, I, you know, that'll be really fun. Um, yeah, it reminds me, I feel like the MTV Awards do like this interesting pre-show, like red carpet concert thing. Um, so, you know, uh, always a thought leader in this industry, Industry, the, the VMAs. Well done. Um, I don't know. I, I, I will miss them happening during the show. I always enjoy them peppering through, but um at least they're happening at all? Question mark? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so the Oscar pre-show special will start at 630. So I, I'm guessing they'll like combine the red carpet in with all of this. Right. Um, and then there's also going to be uh, Oscars After Dark, um, which is hosted by Coleman Domingo and Andrew Rannells, um, which I'm fascinated to see um, what that looks like. And because we will not be at the Vanity Fair Oscar party or covering it from our homes uh, for the first time in many years, um, I guess we'll get to watch. All right. So let's move into screenplays. We have talked about uh, the original screenplay category a lot, I think, because you've got Aaron Sorkin, you've got, uh, you know, kind of big up-and-comers, uh, Emerald Fennell and Lee Isaac Chung nominated. Um, you've got the three writers of Judas and the Black Messiah. You've got the team behind Sound of Metal. Um, it seems like the narrative has solidified that this is Emerald Fennell's and this will be the award for Promising Young Woman. I disagree <laughs> mm. that this will be the award but i do think oh, that emerald okay. will a- win. an award an award um for certain yeah i, I do and, and something we talked about is that this this one of the screenplay categories at least in the last few years being a sort of way to herald in a new and exciting filmmaker um who's directing may still need like a little bit more work possibly or something like that but um as as a writer director is really exciting this is the taika jordan peel sort of win possibly for emerald finale which i think would be really fun yeah and it won't be i would love to see like minari win here but I feel like it's going to win somewhere else. Um, and I think the fact that Fennell has the added value, like Jordan Peele did, like Taika Waititi did, of being mm-hmm. famous as a performer as well. I mean, Fennell isn't like famous, famous, but she was on The Crown. You know, I Man. think there's that extra little dose of celebrity quotient that will help her here. Yeah, personally, I feel like The Crown is the closest we get to monoculture this, these days, but I'm also a little biased on that, obviously. That's a little bit of VF tunnel vision there. Oh, yeah. Uh, but she would be the first woman to win since Diablo Cody. I think she's the first woman to be nominated on her own since Diablo Cody. I guess Annie, Annie Mumlo and Christian Weber nominated together. Anyway, the original screenplay category's track record with gender parity is terrible, so uh, Emerald Fennell can go a long way toward that. Um, let's talk about adapted, which I think is much, uh, much more complicated. Honestly, um, you got Nomadland in there, um, but I don't know that the adaptation has been kind of its one of its biggest selling points. So it wouldn't surprise me to see it lose there. Um, you know, Sasha Baron Cohen standing right there waiting to win an Oscar, along with like, do you guys remember how many people are nominated for the Borat screenplay? Oh, it's a like lot. Eleven, so many. Um, I mean, I just kind of want to see them all take the stage together. Honestly, they're like taking up like. 30% of the, you know, COVID regulation room in the, in the, in the theater. Um, I don't it's know. What do you guys 12, think is going to happen? 12, no, no, uh, 10 names. I, well, yeah. if, if the Borat team wins, they have to accept on the roof because it's just not. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just not, it's not safe to have them all inside. Yeah. Um, I'm seeing a kind of, I, I think there's a kind of a, it seems like a mix between Nomadland and the father. Mm-hmm. as being toward the head of the pack. I would love it if The Father could win something. I think it's an yeah. excellent movie. One, I kind of regret not putting on my top 10 list. I'm not quite sure why I didn't. Um, but it was definitely, you know, 11 or 12. Um, 
And it's, you know, someone who, who, who adapting his own play that he also directed the film. There is a personal component to it. It's really intricately crafted. Nomadland as an adaptation, one of the criticisms leveled against it is that it doesn't really do much with Jessica Bruder's book. Um, it kind of uses that as a, a vague template and then does its own thing, um, you know, by inventing this Fern character for one thing. That said, does that kind of granular breakdown really matter much when you consider all of these lovely monologues from real life um, nomadic people in, you know, the American West? Those are just beautiful moments in the film. And and maybe they just that, that's all that counts. Um, but I don't know. I would love a surprise win for the father here. Yeah. You know what? I'm going to vote with my heart and say the father. I'm going to vote. I don't know what it is with, but vote for Borat. Maybe my chaos brain just wants to see 10 people <laughs> up on stage. This episode of Little Gold Men is brought to you by MUBI, a curated streaming service dedicated to elevating great cinema from around the globe. They have everything from iconic directors to emerging auteurs. There is always something new to discover because with MUBI, each and every film is hand-selected so you can explore incredible movies streaming anytime, anywhere. Right now, they have a film collection for performers we love, and they are highlighting one of this year's Oscar frontrunners, Lily Gladstone. So I am here with David Canfield to talk about how much we love Lily Gladstone, and especially her film that is now on movie, Certain Women. David, fond memories there. Fond memories. What an introduction. None of us knew who she was before that film, um, but it's quite a thing to be in a Kelly Reichardt film with Michelle Williams, Kristen Stewart, and Laura Dern and completely steal it. And uh, now we're talking about it to this day. You can try MUBI for free for 30 days at MUBI.com slash LittleGoldMen. That's M-U-B-I dot com slash LittleGoldMen for a whole month of great cinema for free. Movie.com slash little gold men. Okay. Now let's get into the acting categories. Richard, you mentioned earlier that you think Minari will win somewhere else. I assume you mean that uh, Yu Zhang Yun is now our front runner for Minari, which is uh, somehow I didn't see it coming. And it's been a really exciting development uh, and what feels like a real development over the last few weeks. Yeah. I think she's going to win. I think she's terrific in the film. So it's really well deserving. I think that it's one of those moments where people in the United States or the West could be like, oh, sure, we've been on this great actors, you know, we, we, we've known about her. And it's like a lot of people have never seen her or anything, even though she's been acting for many years. I think also not to be cynical, but this kind of also feels like something she won through speeches. You know, oh, she's, yeah. she's been great when she's accepted, a, you know, the BAFTA and the SAG Award kind of a little bit, a little bit blunt in a funny in, in a way kind of true to her character and just charming and a real like breath of fresh air. And so I think that has certainly helped. I, I think that I have declared that someone has won by a speech before. And I believe that was Glenn Close at the Golden Globes. And we all know how that turned out. So <laughs> not always the best metric to follow. But uh, yeah, I do think that she will win. Yeah. And I don't even think it's that cynical. I think, you know, when you've got a performance that people really grab onto and then you can, like, kind of show yourself uh, via a word speech, um, that that's powerful. And I think that, like, that speaks to your ability as an actor um, in addition to just, like, being charming and getting people to talk about you when you need to be talked about. Um, supporting actor, 
We, I suppose, probably continue to fret about the Judas and the Black Messiah vote split, but I still feel pretty confident in Daniel Kaluuya here, and it seems to that seems to be also the conventional wisdom that we all have now. Fretting less, fretting less, day every Yay. day, fretting less. Uh, he, he won the SAG, he won the BAFTA, right? Like, so um, he's doing okay. Uh, still a minor degree of fret, but no, I think this is Daniel Kaluuya's to lose, yeah. If the so is the surprise that you worry about still Sasha Baron Cohen? Like you think if they split the vote, then Sasha Baron Cohen jumps up? Yeah, but like I said, it's a it's a smaller fear than it was a while ago. Okay, and maybe I should always listen to you, Katie Rich, but sometimes <laughs> no. I don't. So you know. no, let's check in next week and see how my predictions really pan out, and then see if you should <laughs> listen to me. Um, all right, well let's jump into the category that is, I think unpredictable to a degree that we are not used to at this stage. Best Actress is all over the place. Um, with Frances McDormand's BAFTA win, as we talked about last week, basically someone has someone different has won every big televised award that has happened this season, except for Nessa Kirby, um, which I think has now put her what everyone thinks is in fifth place. Um, and I'm sure she's delighted to be nominated. Um, I think I've landed on Viola Davis, but I change all the time on who I think is going to yeah, win this. Yeah, I'm the same. So let's I just want to break that down. So Viola Davis won the SAG. Mm-hmm. Francis McDormand won the BAFTA. Andrew Day yes. won the Golden Globe, and Mulligan won Critics' Choice. Is that what we're counting? As I like think a big, I believe okay. so. Yeah, yeah, that's generous to the Critics' Choice Awards, but you know, yeah, I guess they I mean, are now. She, you know, she has won a televised award. Yes, which, exactly. You know, we haven't had so many of. Um, I don't think that Vanessa will, uh, you know, <laughs> be be the last piece of that equation. Unfortunately for her, uh, on Sunday, the more I think about it, the more I do think that Viola Davis will win. And I think there's also the matter of we just talked about costumes and hair and makeup from Ma Rainey winning. Mm-hmm. And she is wearing the costumes and the hair and the makeup. And so <laughs> people are really focusing on her and her very, you know, big, you know, enveloping performance. Maybe there was months ago a chance that the fact that she doesn't really I mean, she sings one song in the movie, but everything else is done by a different vocalist. That could have been like, oh, well, is it a full performance? I don't that does not seem to have factored into anyone's voting that I can tell. Um, So, yeah, I think she uh, just by a nose or Uh by a set of fake teeth um, is uh, (laughs) the one the one to beat. I'm going to stick with Carrie Mulligan here. Um, Not not because I don't love Viola. And I agree with you guys. Like the the narrative has been has been tightening around Viola um, in a big way. I think I get I get a little spiky when you know Viola has an Oscar not to say she doesn't deserve a hundred like Meryl has at home or whatever like she definitely does it's just like I I guess it's I'm informed partially by this piece I just did for VF of like a tour of all of Carrie Mulligan's performances and I'm like she's been so good for so long and in this film she gets to show off like the full arsenal of what she can do and this is a film that I'm convinced I mean it's a good screenplay but I'm convinced the only reason that it is even like an Oscar worthy film at all is because of Carrie Mulligan's performance in it Mm. and so I think a lot of people expect that Viola is going to win this, um, but I guess I will be contrary and <laughs> say Carrie. I do. I do think the narrative that this that we might have an all non-white um, acting sweep here is a really is a really strong one and and one that I I would be excited to see as well. Um, I just like can't stop thinking about Carrie Mulligan in this in this film, and I know the data doesn't back me up. I know the Critics' Choice Award is not a lot to hang my hat on, but um, that's where I'm standing. 
But I think also, like, you've got enough people who are going to get enough votes that it could be really close, which I think means anything could happen. Like, I think, uh, you know, other than Vanessa Kirby, like, I think anyone really could win. Like, there's convincing arguments to be made for Andre Day, who, you know, if yeah. you're being like, OK, well, who played a famous musician in a biopic? But really did her own singing. Like, if that's important to somebody, like, her performance as Billie Holiday is really thoroughly embodied, uh, even in a movie that's really not especially great. But that has not stopped many Best Actress winners in the past. Um, and, it, yeah. like, where I land on the Viola thing is when you're talking about her already having an Oscar, like, like Kate Blanchett won for Blue Jasmine. Like, that, that movie had a lot of factors going into it. And there was, you know, kind of this, like, streetcar named Desire, like, Titanicness to it. Um, but she only had a supporting. And she is a movie star. And I think Viola Davis, you can very much apply the same logic there. Completely. Like, she wants in supporting for Fences kind of weirdly because it's really a lead role. Um, and this would, you know, cement her even further in the firmament. Um, she doesn't need it, but, uh, you know, it can't hurt. No, I absolutely think she deserves a, yeah. a, a best actress win, a leading actress statue at home. Absolutely. Um, I just think Carrie Mulligan deserves the statue at all. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Is where I am with that. Um, and, and like the year that she won for Fences, I was I I remember our conversation that year being like it felt like a safe campaign that they ran so that she definitely would win when I really wanted her to win lead that year. Um, yeah. and I even, I think I wanted her to win lead the year of the help. You know what I mean? Like, I, I think she well, we thought she would, I think. Yeah. I think Meryl beating her was a surprise. Exactly. And so like, yes, she definitely deserves, um, a leading actress, um, Oscar. I just, yeah, I just can't stop thinking about Carrie Mulligan. So. And, and yeah, you mentioned Andrew Day, Katie, and I, I think that it does feel like almost a three-way race because there's such precedent for the music biopic win. Um, mm -hmm. You know, you think about back in 2008, or the ceremony was in 2008, uh, when Marion Cotillard won for Livian Rose, an actor that many people in America didn't know. Um, in this case, Andrew Day is a singer who a lot of people know, but is this a first-time performer? Um, Cotillard went up against some heavy hitters, Laura Linney, Kate Blanchett, Elliot Page, um, and then Julie Christie, who had won an, act, an Oscar 40 years earlier, and this was kind of viewed her her winning for away from her was going to be like his career capping thing. And then it didn't happen. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think there is a ton of precedent, uh, not just that year, but other years where the strength of a music biopic performance in a movie that people otherwise don't really remember just captures the fancy of the Academy. So I really wouldn't be surprised if she won. I wouldn't be surprised if Carrie or Viola won. I just, I only would be surprised if Vanessa Kirby won, frankly. Yeah, we haven't mentioned Frances McDormand too much, but, um, you know, I think she's still very much in that mix, especially um, if Nomadland is as strong as some people think is and some people think isn't. Like, that'll be an interesting gauge of that. I'm also a little worried that if, um, if Carrie wins, it'll, it'll feel like, because I think a lot of people are, are at this point expecting Viola to win, that it will feel like, Viola was robbed or something like that. And I just like, it's weird because this Viola narrative, I feel like has really only solidified in the last couple of weeks. Um, and it was sort of all over the place before that. Anyway, I yeah. don't know. I just, I hope, I hope everyone feels great about who wins, <laughs> but, but when has that ever happened? So, yeah. yeah. The argument for Carrie that I think uh, is sort of what you're saying, Joanna, is that like of everyone nominated here, I think an Oscar win for her would give her career a bump. I mean, Andre Day, I think, you know, she had never acted before. Like she is already like, Rocketed so much up. Viola Davis and Frances McDormand are already like legends. But Carrie Mulligan like was really big ten years ago. She broke out. She got her Oscar nomination. Like her roles have kind of like varied in quality. And I think her she could like reestablish herself as a star with a win here. Um, 
that I would be very happy to see. But wait, so I think Vile is going to win. Joanna, you I do think- too. Care. Okay, so that's two for Okay, well, let, let, you know, watch Andrew Day win, and then we're, we're all wrong. Oh, yeah. <laughs> watch Vanessa Kirby win, guys. Yeah. You never know. Um, all right. Well, we can go to Best Actor. Um, the Anthony Hopkins win at BAFTA kind of sent some of uh, some people, some of our colleagues, into a spin, thinking <laughs> maybe Anthony Hopkins would swing in and win this. Um, Richard Lawson, your your prophecy would come true at long last. Um, I don't really buy it. I think this is I think Chadwick Boseman not winning would still be an enormous shock and like a bad look for everybody involved, honestly, um, as great as many of these performances are. Um, are either of you more convinced that there's a shakeup here? No, no. OK, no, okay. I, I don't think so. I mean, I think that. Yeah, I, I guess there could be some thinking that among voters that like, I don't know, like maybe we're giving my rating too much or maybe Chadwick Boseman's gotten too much. I don't know. I, I can't really see the reasoning, I guess, even if I try to imagine it for why people wouldn't vote for Boseman. Yeah. I mean, it is, I will say it's a little wild because here's what I'll say. Chadwick Boseman should win. Viola Davis would not be mad if she won, obviously. Um, Mom rating winning for like costume or makeup or any of that. I wouldn't be upset by, but isn't it like kind of wild because I don't feel like people talk a lot about Ma Rainey. Like we talked about this a little while ago that like it was on Netflix's own like hidden gem section, like quickly after it premiered. It's such mm. a, it's this award season. So strange. I don't it's know. Strange. I don't know what to do with it. You know? And Ma Rainey didn't get a best picture nomination. Um, which, like, I guess could indicate, like, not as much support for the film as we think. I mean, it's just wild. Like, if, if if Best Actor, Best Actress and, like, these design elements go to this film that wasn't even nominated for Best Picture, you're like, well, then what what's happening here? Maybe that is an, you know, I wonder what the record is for the most Oscar wins for a film not nominated for Best Picture. Um, I would be interested if someone could pull that up because I, I'm sure that would be close to the record. Yeah. I mean, I think all of that is true about Ma Rainey, but I also think Chadwick Boseman's death is one of the biggest pop culture stories of the past year. Um, and Absolutely. I think, I think he will win. And I think that like that is part of it. I think the performance is part of it. Um, I think that is what makes Viola Davis's win feel more uh, borderline because yeah. of the idea of this movie that's not that well-loved winning both. But um, I think Chadwick Boseman is just, is, remains undeniable. All right, let's get into Best Director. And then right after that, Best Picture. I did our Best Director predictions. And as I wrote, I think as as much as people have kind of gone back and forth on whether or not there's, you know, a surge for something else besides No Man Land coming, I don't think anyone has doubted that Chloe Zhao will win um, Best Director. She will make history. She accomplished something pretty amazing with this movie that is this hybrid of, you know, reality and fiction and documentary and, like, gorgeous landscapes. Um I would be, you know, delighted to see almost anybody in this lineup win, but I think it's hers. I agree. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the best director doesn't do surprises all that often, you know. Mm. I think maybe like, I don't know, Ang Lee winning for Life of Pi, but I don't think that was really much of a surprise. No. Um, you know, it all that that category usually feels pretty determined at this point in the game, you know. I suppose there was some thought last year that maybe Sam Mendes would win over Bong Joon-ho. And maybe I was saying that. And then now just in the light of hindsight, I'm like, oh, and of course, Bong Joon-ho was going to win. But yeah, I just don't see anyone competing with Chloe Zhao. I don't know. I, I think that she has been so much of the story of that movie. 
mm-hmm. ironically enough, considering that Lee Isaac Chung, it literally is his story, Minari. But I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think that Chloe Zhao is unseparatable from the film. You know, like she she can't be taken from it and sort of isolated. Um, so, yeah, she, I think she'll definitely win. Yeah. Um, well, then that brings us to Nomadland and Best Picture. Um, I mean, there is this track record in recent years of Best Director and Best Picture splitting. It didn't last year with Parasite, but uh, Room won Best Director, La La Land, The Revenant, Gravity, Life of Pi um, kind of happens as often as it doesn't uh, in the last decade. I still think Nomadland is going to win primarily because I don't see anything else that's going to like obviously swoop in and take it. I think for a while maybe we thought it would be Minari and then Trial of Chicago 7 won the SAG award. So that seems to be perceived as the second place contender. I mean, maybe this is a place we can get into how we think those ranked choice ballots are going to play out. Like what's everyone going to put in their second, third and fourth place slots that could really determine how this whole thing goes. I just think it's Nomadland. <laughs> <laughs> we can overthink it, but that's just where I am. I think Nomadland, you know, just this is always all guesswork, but like it, Nomadland feels like enough of a universal hit where it's a lot of people who more favor the smaller art house stuff like it. A lot of people who like big kind of sweep like it. A lot of people who like kind of American mythology will like it. You know, it just feels like mm-hmm. it'll hit enough number ones on ballots to tip it over the edge. I bet it would just I bet it wouldn't even go to a second count. Honestly. Oh, wow. Um, well, I was going to say that I feel like even if you like Minari better, you would have Nomadland in second and third and or Child of Chicago 7 or Sound of Metal. Like it, it's easy to imagine it being in the top half of almost everyone's ballots, which I think is not necessarily true of some of the other ones. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So what do you like? Do you think that everyone is just trying to like make something interesting in the last stages of the race by talking about something else winning or? Um, well, I think is, we can yeah. never count out the older, whiter uh, contingent of the Academy and and how they have voted in the past. I just think that it's partially that. I think it's partially like, let's not underestimate uh, the more conservative nature. But if the like, trial of the Chicago 7 is the more conservative choice, I don't know. Um, yeah, I don't know. I just, I think it's Nomadland. I think we're just overthinking it. Well, I think we're overthinking, and I think also, as tends to happen with people who do these kind of predictions right before D-Day, is you want to hedge your bets a little. You want to be like, well, protect yourself from being totally wrong. Be like, well, no, if you actually go back, I did say that Chicago 7 <laughs> might win, you know, at least I'll yeah. speak for myself anyway. Um, I think that if Nomadland were to lose in a huge upset, it would go to Chicago 7, but yeah. um, I, I think that's probably... A distant possibility because I think a lot of people, probably a lot more people resent Chicago Seven um, than resent Nomadland. So I think like Chicago Seven will probably get a ton of number one picks, but then like maybe not as many number twos. Uh, I will say our friend Chris Rosen, who works at Gold Derby now, uh, has put Promising Young Woman in his first place spot. Um, my guess, I mean, I, th- I think Kyle Buchanan tweeted that he's talked to a lot of people who put it at number one on their ballots. Um, but I would assume it's also at the bottom of a lot of ballots. It is a polarizing movie, even among like the film Twitter people that we talk to who you know, might seem more inclined to like it than some older Academy voters. Um, but there is a lot of passion behind it, which I think you can't underestimate when it when it comes to this. I think that ending of Promising a Woman really, in addition to other things, really puts people off. You know, it's such a downer of an ending, which like, fine. I mean, it's about a bleak subject, but... I think the the sense of, well, clearly stated kind of like rabble rousing that Chicago 7 does and a sort of more muted version of hope that Nomadland does, I think is just a better 
feeling to walk out of a, well, get off your couch feeling, you know, after watching these things. Um, so yeah, while I think, yes, I'm sure there are plenty of people who are going to put promising woman at number one. I think there are just as many, probably more actually who will resent the way that the movie makes them feel frankly. Mm. Yeah. And let's not forget that Nomadland ends. I think the second to last shot is a direct reference to the searchers. So, you know, talk to some old school Academy voters, (laughs) <laughs> like yeah. me, apparently. I got very excited at that shot, so maybe I'm I'm speaking their language. Um, all right. Well, we did all our predictions. Uh, the group's uh, best uh, Oscar predictions will be on VF.com, uh, which may differ from what we just talked about since there's lots more of us participating. I don't know. Any other final thoughts that you guys have about what you expect to, to see play out? Uh, are, are you excited at this point for seeing what Steven Soderbergh and Stacey Schur and Jesse Collins have cooked up? I'm excited. I think I. it kind of feels like it could be either a really masterful adaptation of a trusted form that had to adapt because of the weird circumstances, or it could be a total disaster. But both of those are kind of interesting. I don't think it'll be a disaster in the way the Golden Glows were just sort of like boring and stilted and, you know, like just kind of off. Mm-hmm. This feels like a more complete vision. And that's kind of that's exciting um, because whether or not the vision works, at least they tried something big from what I've been reading about what they're going to be doing. And I know that um, it's unlikely to be a very well watched ceremony this year. So maybe it'll feel a little bit more like the Tonys, which I kind of like, where it just feels (laughs) like. Just kind of a few of us are watching this year, um, if that makes sense. Not that I, you know, you know, I expect this to be an anomaly and and next year. But I was just thinking, like, you know, there was this big effusive outpouring for In the Heights um, this last week as the embargo lifted and a bunch of people had seen it. And, and, you know, of course, that makes me think of, like, what would this award ceremony have looked like if, uh, you know, some big smash all blockbusters that were in theaters uh, were in contention. It's just been a tough year for people to get interested in movies when they're dealing with so much else. And I I really understand that. But uh, there are some beautiful films uh, and very deserving films that are going to get Oscars this year. And that's exciting, too. Yeah. And I think the mood of like needing Hollywood to come back and needing theaters to be back, like, I hope we get a lot less of the being like, well, what's longer than the Oscar ceremony? Like, you know, less dissing itself and more being like, hey, we're here for the people who saw Nomadland and Promising Woman, et cetera. Like, let's enjoy this and not apologize for the existence of an award show, because I think that seems to be the vibe that they're going for. I will say, um, what have you guys what have you guys seen in terms of the response, the reaction to it being a maskless uh, ceremony? Mm. I don't know that I've seen much, but maybe you have. Um, <laughs> Do you have a follow up to that? I've seen nothing but like really negative reactions to that. Hmm. Um, and I know we talked about the fact that like um, probably everyone there is vaccinated and, and I know we're getting a lot closer. Like you two are fully vaccinated. And I'm halfway vaccinated. Like we're getting close. But there's just still like a lot of people who aren't and can't and i i don't know i just think it's a i think it's a bad look so that's all i'll say about that yeah i don't know i feel like it's going to feel really nice to see people living in normal circumstances and like obviously they have gone through a ton of effort to make it possible for that to be safe um so like is it possible there's like an escapism in being able to to watch that it's very possible and it's very possible I'm just being grouchy, but... Um... No, I mean, I think being grouchy at this stage in the pandemic is warranted. <laughs> and I have no doubt that at the top of the show, in some capacity, they'll, like, list all the precautions that they took, you know? 
um, to kind of reassure, like you, what you're seeing is not real life. We have crafted this yeah. very carefully, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know. So I, yeah, I think there'll be some sort of caveat about that. Um, it's not an invitation for everyone to go have their own parties right now if people aren't vaccinated. Yeah, I will say after the Grammys, like people went to like were photographed leaving a bunch of after parties, um, which I didn't expect, like, to you know, for like Beyonce and Jay-Z to be photographed leaving a club. Uh, and again, like many of these people may be fully vaccinated, but uh, I am very intrigued to see how that how that plays out. Well, we'll be back Monday after the Oscars uh, to talk about it. We will not be, uh, you know, last year we were in the same hotel room, bleary eyed, like having slept for three hours, having been at a party, which is astonishing to think about. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll be we'll be in exactly where we are now, at our desks, in our houses, um, but we'll hopefully have a lot to talk about and um, probably be excited to put this award season behind us. I think we can all agree. I saw a very a mean but kind of funny tweet that was like, it was like some widely used promo stills for a couple of the Oscar Nomi movies and it was like something like soak these up now because after Sunday they'll never be seen again. (laughs) (laughs) I mean yeah you do get to a point where you're like how many more images of Frances McDormand looking directly into the camera and standing in front of a sunset can I see? Um, well, as always, we want you to text us uh, through subtext. You can go to joinsubtext.com slash littlegoldmen or text us at 917-809-7096. Um, we especially want your questions after the Oscars. We will probably be going through them um, as we, you know, make sense of the awards show. And, of course, after the Oscars, too, please keep texting us. We need your um, attention. Uh, you can find us at mandatefair.com in addition to the Oscar predictions, to Richard's uh, 2001 Oscars recap, to Joanna's uh, Shadow and Bone coverage, to everything else. Um, you can follow us on Twitter at Little Gold Men, and I'm at Katie Rich and Richard. Rylaws. And Joanna. Joe wrote this. This week's episode was edited and produced by Brett Fuchs, and this week's award for the title of the next Spider Man movie goes to Joanna Robinson. There's just something about that octopus. <laughs> This episode was brought to you by Empower. Are you ready for life's important milestones? What will your retirement look like? Do you know your net worth? Empower can help answer your money questions so you don't have to worry. With a real-time dashboard and real live conversations, you can get clarity on your real-life financial goals. Join 18 million Americans and take control of your financial future to empower what's next. Start today at empower.com.